Amen. If you're not familiar with that well-beloved hymn, as you're all on the altar, we're talking about peace. We cannot expect to really know peace unless we've really put ourselves, everything about us, our whole being, on the altar. That's the spirit of Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, being living sacrifices, which is wholly acceptable unto God, our reasonable service. And uh, I hope you know Christ in that abundant way, that meaningful way, that yielded way. It's not just uh, a profession that you made at some point in your life, where you, as one preacher put it, you got your fire insurance from hell, and then you sort of go your merry way. It isn't really a merry way without the Lord and without Christ being center in your life, but really is, is joy and peace and meaning in life when really we have a yielded existence before our Lord on a regular basis. When our family moved down here, 21 years ago, the vehicle that we had at the time was a big black uh, Buick Roadmaster sedan, and uh, it was a great car for us. It was uh, very heavy. One thing I remember most about it was the suspension system in it. In fact, Buick gave a specific um, name to their technology in that particular chassis, it's called the Dynaride, D-Y-N-A, Dynaride. And we, we had never owned a car, a vehicle, that was quite so wide and long. We had had minivan and some other, other sedans and stuff. But especially the hood, or uh, the, uh, the, the front uh, of, the, of the car, just seemed like to go on forever out there. Becky sometimes said it felt like she was driving with her dining room table out in, in front of her. But we did notice that as we rode down, it kind of, we kind of felt like we were in a boat. And as we would go down the road, it really felt like you were kind of floating because they had really got that suspension system uh, right on point in that regard. Well, probably all of us are glad that we don't drive the original Model A's, Model T's that had very uh, poor suspension systems, if, if any of them, when you went down the roads. And they weren't paved originally, right? They were dirt roads. You felt it all. Uh, you felt it all. But our suspension systems are designed to give us a, a smoother ride over imperfect roads. And we're glad to get on those roads that have been freshly paved. You can go down. I think I noticed that they're redoing parts of 22 Veterans Highway. And it's like, ah, oh, it feels, you know, it's less noisy. It's smoother. And that's always such a blessing, but, you know, you, you hit those bumps or you hit those little potholes. Imagine how jarring it would be if you didn't have struts and uh, uh, springs and stuff like that that were built into your car. As I think about how the suspension system in our vehicle works, I find myself as I was meditating on Matthew 5, 9 this week, that I think the, the issue of being a peacemaker is very similar. There's a lot of uh, corollaries, a lot of comparisons in how that works in our lives with other people and how it works in our vehicles. It's really no wonder that a, a special uh, blessing is given to those who use wisdom from God in their interaction and in their interpersonal relationships with other people, or not just between them and another person, but getting involved in other people's lives as a, a bystander, as someone who's integrating in to be a help, to be a blessing. I think we live in a society today where nobody wants to get involved, uh, nobody likes confrontation. And so a lot of things go undealt with, with the hope that peace will come about, only to find out that ultimately it typically doesn't. In previous messages that we've looked at in these verses, I've observed what I believe is some development, how 
these blessings really build from one to the next and are not just uh, given out in some sort of random way. I don't think the Lord kind of shuffled these in his mind and just pulled them out. I, I do see that there seems to be one leading into the other and the previous one enabling the next one to take place. And so if you, you look back at, at verse 8, it's talking about someone who is pure in heart and without re, re-preaching that message from uh, two weeks ago. You might remember that by pure in heart, we're talking about someone who is genuine of spirit. There's a sincerity. They're, they're real individual, not just external, not just superficial, don't just know how to say the right things. And I find myself realizing, you know, if I'm going to be a peacemaker or if I'm going to allow someone else to operate as a peacemaker into my life, fundamentally isn't one of the key qualities that needs to be true is that you can ascertain and determine that that person is genuine, that they really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they really love you as a person, that they're not in it to build a name for themselves, to get a pat on the back necessarily, but they, they understand the, the whole point of the gospel and how it applies to daily life and how that Christ is being formed in us and we're being conformed to Christ day by day and that this individual wants to be an active part of that in obedience to God and is being driven by the Word as his tool and by the Spirit of God as his guide. And so we need to understand this concept of of being a peacemaker and peacemaking taking place needs to be really understood by us as individuals as part of the church, part of the body of Christ. It is so sad, is it not, to hear of churches where there is disruption, where there are uh, breaks in relationships, where there's infighting and disputes. In fact, you know, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6, Paul even warns the Corinthians about how, you know, they were uh, getting caught up in civil issues and taking it outside the church to deal with these matters and He said, you know, this is wrong because it really does a reproach to the name of Christ. Would it not be better for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus' sake that you would allow yourself to be taken advantage of individually and not necessarily get justice as opposed to that happening? And so we do need to understand the, the key concepts and the importance of peacemaking in this day and age in which we lived and your personal responsibility to be a peacemaker and also to receive peacemaking into your life as it becomes necessary. So I want us to talk about this on a couple of different levels. And the the first thing is this. We need to recognize that peace is sometimes not easy to acquire or even possible in every situation. It's not always easy. In fact, I might even say it's not typically easy to acquire. We're not talking about peace at any cost. We need to be very clear on that. Even Jesus taught that his own ministry would cause some divisions, some necessary divisions. Why? Because his ministry was coming into a world that is sin-cursed and filled with fallen people. And he taught that not all would be on the narrow road that leads to life eternal. So those that are on the broad path, which is the majority, are not going to understand those that are on the narrow path. Those that come after Christ and deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. It is going to create disruption if you truly become a follower of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, just a a couple uh, pages over in your Bible, Jesus said in verse 34 to his disciples, Let me correct your thinking. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Now let's keep going because that sounds like an immediate contradiction to what what he just said, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And he says, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. He says, I came not to send peace but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then he goes on to talk about taking up the cross and following him. So we have to understand it in the context of those last two verses. It's a comparative love. Jesus is never teaching you ought not love your family. He's saying your allegiance, your devotion, your agape love for me needs to extend beyond all other limitations. And if you have people in your very homes, the center, the, the, the very bedrock of relationships that the Bible goes on to explain are very important and we need to be protective of them. But if it comes down to an issue where family is going to have a schism, don't ever put making mama happy, daddy, daddy happy, your children happy over making God the Father happy. And so therefore, as someone becomes a committed Christian, have we not all heard those stories? And likely in this very room, or people that are listening to us today, may in, be in those very same situations where the very family nucleus is not as tight, not as unified, because someone or someones have decided, but I must obey God rather than man. My, my love for Christ and what He's leading me to do is supreme. Now, that's not to say that we kick people to the curb and say, hey, you know, if you don't like it, tough. You know, I think it's interesting when, when Christ appeared in the incarnation as a baby, one of the things in Luke 2, verse 14, that the, the angels were, were heralding was peace on earth, goodwill to man. And we call Jesus the Prince of Peace. Those are all true. These are, these are not in conflict with one another. And Jesus, when an individual receives Him as Lord and Savior, peace comes into your individual heart. He brings that peace into us as individuals. And as a group of believers and fellowship equally have that sense of yieldedness to Christ, there is a wonderful bond in Christ Jesus as well. But we do need to understand that as we talk about this great, important commodity called peace, that it is not about keeping the peace at all costs. Many believers have often made decisions that they've set aside even what God's Word clearly might teach in a matter just to keep alive a sense of social interaction with a friend or a family member. And they've had to compromise their own walk with the Lord. And folks, that's always a mistake when we do that. If two people in a relationship give their hearts to Christ, their relationship is the better for it because they're not only unified together, but they're unified in the bond of Christ. A threefold cord is not quickly broken, right? Husband, wife, the Holy Spirit all bonding together. What a wonderful imagery to use with young couples at the altar there as they're uh, taking their vows. You know, if only one person in a relationship makes Christ their Lord, then you need to expect that there's going to be friction. There's going to be problems. For instance, there's going to be dissimilarity. At the very least, there's going to be dissimilarity. The unsaved will not share the enthusiasm for what the believer does. A saved wife coming to the table to say, Honey, let me show you what the Lord showed me in my quiet time this morning. 
He's not going to have that exuberance. He might over a period of time get rather annoyed. Why? He's a natural man. He's not redeemed. He doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foreign to him. He doesn't have the comforter within him to guide him into all truth. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Brother Mike did a wonderful job in 2 Corinthians 6 talking to us. I mean, just the, the, the interaction of the, the adult Bible study lesson this morning with what we're talking about here today was, you know, just of the Lord in this way. And, and we need to understand. Now, does that mean? Paul was very quick. Hey, if you find yourself, you know, married to an unsafe person, don't divorce that person, you know, God's grace can help you in that situation, but you do need to realize that that situation is not going to have the harmony. It's not going to have the exuberance that you would have if both of you were on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a dissimilarity. There's also a disdain. Before we're saved, the Bible says we are at enmity with God. So if you have a business partner who's a lost man... He's at war with God, and you're walking under the banner of Jesus Christ as the captain of the host. How, how different can that be? And so therefore, when you try to start to lead your business based on biblical precepts and ethics that honor God, and you try to promote that to your business partner, you need to realize that there's going to come that moment, it's like, I hate you dragging this religious garbage into this business like you do. There's going to be a disdain. There is. There's sometimes a disloyalty. Unfortunately, the unsaved individual may exert such a pull on the affections of the saved one that the believer begins to compromise their devotion and loyalty for the Lord. And this is sad, but it happens. My heart goes out to people that do find themselves unequally yoked together in some capacity, whether it's a marriage, business relationship, or something else, with an unbeliever. See, the problem is not with the yoke. The yoke is good. The yoke represents commitment. We live in a day and age where people are trying to say, I just need to steer away from commitment. So we have people that are, you know, getting into meaningful relationships without being married that's just shacking up and fornication is all it is the issue isn't the yoke the issue isn't the commitment the issue is being prudent in your pairing right that we need to be guided by god's principles we need to be led by the holy spirit and we need to make sure that we follow god's word in these areas and trust him by faith doesn't mean there won't be problems. But so many times I've heard stories of individuals says, yeah, I was saved. I got caught up in romance. I married this person. It could be husband, wife, wife, husband. It happens both ways. You know, I, I thought that I could save them. I thought that after we would get married that it would turn. I thought I could go into business with this person. We were best buds through high school and college and you know, I, I knew he didn't share my commitment to Christ, but I thought I would be like salt and light, and, and it doesn't happen that way. And, and then the business partner wants to have a social gathering and have alcohol served, and the Christian's like, no, I, we shouldn't do this. And time, he wears him down, and pretty soon it goes into matters that he, his heart is vexed day unto day as a Christian, much like Lot finding himself in Sodom. The Christian spouse becomes at best silent, not wanting to rock the boat. And sometimes is given an opportunity and it's like, you know, I just stopped going to church completely because I, I didn't want to leave my spouse on Sundays and go off to church. And, that, you know, that was time for us to be together. And so they forsake the assembling of themselves together. There, there's often a pull on the true believer to become disloyal to their Lord. So we need to understand fundamentally when we talk about peace, because a lot of people put under this umbrella of, well, we need to seek peace. It's peace at all costs, folks. That's, that's not a, if it's not a peace that honors God as stipulated through His Word, it's not a real peace. 
Secondly, we need to be able to identify real peace, authentic peace. Peace is not simply stifling an argument, you know, trying to, trying to hush, hush <laughs> the bitter words, the disagreements. We had a couple years ago, a neighbor had an outdoor fire, and from what I understand, before they went in for the night, they, they tried to uh, extinguish the fire, and they just... It was around the fall of the year, if I remember right. and So they just, just heaped up a whole bunch of, of old leaves and yard debris on top of that. You know, it seemed to be good because, you know, it was, it was smoking, but no more flames. You know, checked on it before they went to bed, went in. Well, you know what happened was uh, by the next morning, there was a full raging fire that had spread across the backyard and into the neighbor's yards and, had burned up one person's house almost entirely, damaged others, and they're like, wow, you know, we, we thought the fire was taken care of. It was smoldering. All along, it was smoldering. It was not extinguished. And we need to understand that some of our approaches to problems is we think we've obtained peace, but we really haven't dealt with the issues and the flames of the problem, the flames of dispute, are really still there, but they've just subsided. A little bit of oxygen of a new situation comes along and up it incinerates and begins to spread, and often the damage is far worse if, and if, as if it had been dealt with initially as it should. I've seen feuds. You have too. I've seen disputes between individuals. I've seen it squelched for a time because the individuals might have gotten distracted with other events. Something else comes along and everybody kind of wipes their brows. Whew, you know, got a breather. Maybe they'll all forget. Maybe we're done with that. Maybe we won't come back to that full onslaught of words and banter back and forth with each other. But sometimes it just takes a word later down the road, maybe months, maybe years. Maybe just something that causes it to flare up in the minds. And you have a, a raging conflagration of dispute between individuals. And perhaps it's much worse than it ever would have been before had it been dealt with, had people been taken to truth had been people been lovingly dealt with by truth. It takes very little sometimes to fan the embers of disagreements into the inferno of a dispute. One must go to the root issue for there to be real peace. I find it over and over again. I'm a pastor. I am often get, get called to help give counsel, uh, sit down with people where there's a dispute, parents with children, husband with wife, uh, someone within the church with one another. And I'm reminded of a verse in Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride comes contention. Contention. Contention is the antonym of peace. You hear the word friction. Contention is one of those words where even the, the sound of the word kind of gives you that, that contention, even when we say it. So it is. But I think it's interesting. Solomon and all of his Holy Spirit-led wisdom here tells us that only by pride. Well, I'm like, really? Aren't there other things that cause contention besides pride? And what I began to notice is once you start to peel back the layers of surface issues, that it all boils down to someone or both persons or all persons thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. In fact, you, you look at this in your own life. Does not every sin problem boil down to thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought? really goes back to the Garden of Eden. Psst, Eve, the serpent says, right? God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. You'll be like him. Hey, if that isn't an appeal to pride, I don't know what is, right? And she began to think of herself in that very moment more highly of herself than she ought. Pride, we could say, maybe is the base sin. 
And if there's no repentance by one or both parties of pride, then I don't think there's ever going to be any real lasting peace. You know, you might deal with issues at the, at, at the surface level. But bottom line, those people are going to be back in my conference room. I'm going to be sitting in the living room again talking about it. And I'm going to want to be knowing, is there real brokenness under the banner of the gospel? Does every person here realize how undeserving we are of the grace of God, of the blood of Jesus Christ? Do we realize that we still have a bent towards the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Do we realize that is, is something that we need to be on guard against? See, man in his natural condition has an absence of peace. Born into this world, an absence of peace. And therefore needs reconciliation. Remember what I said earlier about the natural man? He's at enmity with God. There is a spiritual warfare that begins naturally by default in every human being's life. And this reconciliation is a divine work. It's not your work. It's not my work as a preacher. It is God's work. He may use you. He may use me. But it has to be a divine work of God for it to really take place. Colossians 1.20 says that we're reconciled, or God reconciled to Himself all things. Goes on to say, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's where peace happens, folks. There's no real spiritual peace in the way that we need to have it. So someone may come to you, someone comes to me, and maybe their dispute has nothing to do with, on the surface, of being lost or saved. But I'm going to tell you, I always want to go right there. Because at the very least, if I send them away happy that, you know, they know how to get along as husband and wife, they know how to get along as uh, parents and children, I haven't really done them any favor if they're still at war in their souls with God. And ultimately, there's still going to be problems because not only do they not know that peace, they don't know how to deal with the future skirmishes that their still fleshly pride is going to bring up. But if they get saved and they're redeemed and they have a mindset of, listen, I need to follow the authority of God's Word. I need to listen to the Spirit of God moving in me. I need to understand the accountability that God puts other people into my life to help me in this way. And there's a humble acquiescing and giving in and surrendering to these things in our life. There's hope to live in peace, even with the most difficult of people. Christ's purpose in coming to this world was to create in himself one new man in place of two. Previously, there were two large groups, Jews Gentiles. Ephesians 2.15 talks about this dynamic of what he does. And let me read from you. Actually, let me go back to verse 14. He says, Paul's writing about Jesus. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, two, into a single and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. You know, for the Jewish people, there was no stronger division for them in human relationships than between them and the Gentiles. They called them dogs. In verse 15, he says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, again, talking about what Jesus did by sacrificing his body, the flesh, he, he was able to abolish that enmity. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. And that's what the New Testament church was supposed to look like. It wasn't, well, Jews over here, Gentiles over here. You know, talk about desegregation. Spiritually speaking, well, that's what Jesus was all about, spiritually speaking. That's why Paul got all over Peter when he started to be two-faced, when he was hobnobbing and fellowshipping with the Gentiles, 
and then the Jews from Jerusalem show up and Peter all of a sudden abandons his, his new Gentile Christian friends. Like, I'm not going to have anything to do with them because now the Jews are here. No, we shouldn't look out and see Jew or Gentile, black, yellow, white, skin. We should just look out and say, brothers and sisters in Jesus. Peace. And I've heard more than one believer say, even in our own congregation, listen, I have a stronger bond with some of my spiritual family than I have with my earthly biological family. And you know what? That, that makes a lot of sense. Why? Because in the most fundamental way, the most meaningful way, you may be at odds with your biological family. But you come here, and you share the love of Christ. You have a mindset, a purpose that is central and unified. We shall be called the children of God as we continue to be a peacemaker. We understand, okay, Lord, you're really given a priority of making peace here. It's what it's all about. Taking two and making them one. So therefore, I am considered a child of God. That's part of my role. And so... Here, going back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, that, I think, is the significance. I will be like my heavenly Father, who is all about peacemaking, unifying on the basis of truth. I will be like Him. I will be a child of God when I engage in the same process. 2 Corinthians 5.18 talks about this. Paul was saying, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So we stop and say, wow, I'm so thankful that I've been reconciled to my Heavenly Father. I didn't used to be. I used to be at odds. I used to be at enmity. But because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, I've been, made brought, I've been brought nigh. I've been reconciled. And then the last part of this verse says this. So God did that through Jesus. And then he says, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. You're not done with reconciliation just because you got yours. We're all called to be reconcilers or peacemakers. When you go out witnessing, when you're sharing the gospel in your mind, you need to be thinking, this person next door to me is at enmity with God as far as I know. I need to pray that God would help me to bring them. I'd be a catalyst. I'd be an instrument, a tool to help see them brought into union with the Father through Jesus Christ, just as someone else helped me get into that same wonderful relationship. Thirdly, we need to understand that friction is never to be desired. Friction. That's just kind of a, a general term I'm using for evidences that peace is lacking. Friction could be verbal, Right? You ever been in a situation where you just start off in a casual conversation and something is said? Maybe it was you. <laughs> Maybe you find yourself saying something like, oh, you know, wish I could grab, grab that, take that back, right? And, and, and so the immediate reaction of the other person, it was like, oh, you know, I knew that was going to happen, you know. Oh, regret that. Or you're on the receiving end. It, it could be a lack of action. Someone, there's the sins of omission, right? Disappointments, expectations. And it didn't come into reality like you thought or hoped that it would. Well, I can't believe they forgot this special day. Guess, guess our relationship isn't as important to them as, as it is to me or as much as I thought it was to them. And, and there's this friction. It may only be internal in your own mind, but there's friction. And we need to realize that friction is never to be desired. Friction creates heat. And that's the enemy in our minds of good peace. One of the key ingredients of a good life is going after peace. In 1 Peter 3.10 and verse 11, he says, He that will love life and see good days. Well, let's just stop there. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that, right? You know, I want to I love life. I want to I have see good days. 
then what? He goes on to say later, let him seek peace and ensue it. Literally, go after it. Be intentional about it. Not just, you know, oh, you know, love to have peace today. No, I am planning to do things, secondary things, that will help contribute to peace coming into my life. Reduce my friction. And, and maybe even as I'm placed in settings with other people, maybe the Lord will give me words of wisdom humbly to offer to help diffuse situations from incinerating. You ever been in those situations and someone has that gift of being able to just say the right words, words fitly spoken as Proverbs puts it, and it, and it just kind of, you know, like, hmm, that was good. Wish I thought of that, right? <laughs> well, the Lord can use us in that way. He wants to use us in that way. We are prone to think that we can have peace by simply not stirring up problems. A lot of people just, you know, uh, what I think it's the Latin term, laissez-faire, leave alone. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't work because there are still activities going on in people's hearts and minds. God tells us that we need to take the initiative to be somewhat persistent in bringing about real resolutions for the purpose of peace. If you have aught with your brother, go to them. Don't hope that it will, you know, just become a distant memory. It rarely does, folks, right? Think about yourself. If you've ever felt like you're on the wronged end on things, it's not necessarily occupying your minds all the time every day, but it keeps coming back, doesn't it? You think about that person. It could be this time of year, and it's like you get a Christmas card. Really? I wouldn't have expected to get that from them after what they did to me. You know, why not resolve it? Why not have that conversation? Why not, as the Bible commands us, to ensue it, to go after it? God tells us we need to take that initiative and be persistent, waiting for the phone to ring. Well, telephone works both ways. Oh, please, don't say that around me. Don't say it to yourself. Is that spirit-filled? I'm not seeing it in my Bible. Or just making it a matter of prayer. It's not always God's will for us. Now, should you pray about it? Absolutely. But some people are procrastinating and quenching the Spirit. And you know, you know when you're quenching the Spirit. And you also know that nobody else knows when you're quenching the Spirit. That's why we tend to kind of give ourselves a pass. Well, no one else knows that, you know, I just got a little jab. But when we don't yield and say, yes, Lord, right now, Lord, and we don't go and seek peace, resolution, then we are damaging our own relationship with the Father. We are grieving. To quench the Spirit is to grieve the Spirit. I heard a pastor friend of mine once say, every day of our life, we're living with either a, a spirit of yieldedness to the Spirit or a grieved Spirit, a grieved Holy Spirit in our life. Do we want to be walking around with a grieved Holy Spirit in our person? Well, we're responsible for Him being grieved and nobody else is. Well, they did it to me. That's not what's grieving the Holy Spirit inside of you. It may be what's grieving the Holy Spirit inside of them. But ultimately, you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you and making sure you're obeying the leading of the Spirit of God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow it. That's very similar to the idea of what we were just talking about. Notice the emphasis in this verse on initiative, follow that same initiative was back in 1 Peter 3.11. Ensue. Go after it. It's not a matter of waiting around. 
Also notice that we cannot have an exempt list of people who we've given up on. Well, I'll do it with these people because I think they're good prospects of getting peace. These people are hopeless. I've written them off. You know, if we had just read so far in our Gospels, we would have thought Simon Peter was going to be on that exempt list of the Lord's when he denied him on the eve of Christ's crucifixion, right? I mean, he even gets to the point where he, he curses, I know not the man. Even after Jesus told him, you're going to do this, Peter. I'm giving you the heads up. And he did it anyway. You know, how many of us, if we were in the Lord's shoes, we'd be just like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just done. I don't have it in me. But Peter was found by the Lord. Jesus ensued. Jesus followed after peace. And he told him, I'm not done with you, Peter. You're going to be feeding my sheep on the basis of your love for me. How can we give up on someone else when God doesn't give up on us? How can we? Well, preacher, you don't know what, what that, that marriage was like for me. You don't know. You don't know what that, that, that child of mine did as they, after all I did for them growing up and then they got into adulthood. You don't know. You don't understand the years that I put into this that church before I moved down here, and, and then this individual in leadership, how they treated me. No, I don't know, but you know what? I don't need to know. Because nothing surpasses God's grace towards you and towards me. Notice that pursuing peace is paired with holiness in this verse too. Simply devotion. When you see holiness, that's my devotion. And I'm willing to separate from things that compete with my devotion for God. Some erroneously think that it's okay to compromise our pure life in the name of bridging relationships. Again, point number one, it's not the idea of superficial peace at any cost. You can do both. You can say, I'm going to live committed to God and I'm going after this person biblically. I'm going to speak the truth in love. Seeing the Lord that's mentioned here is similar to how the pure in heart will see God back in the Beatitudes. This is not just seeing Him in heaven, but it's our clear perception of Him in our personal lives. It's being able to open up our Bibles in our quiet time and say, Wow, I just felt like I met with God. That's what God wants for all of His children. For peace to really be present, it sometimes requires cooperation from others. God wants you to know that you need to only concern yourself with your responsibility. In your Bibles, if you look at Romans 12, 18, you'll see that it says, If it be possible, key words there, as much as lieth in you. Again, both of those phrases have a contingency to them, don't you? If it be possible, it may not be. As much as lieth within you, because you don't ultimately have control over someone's reactions and responses, live peaceably with all men. Four words, commands, strong words. And so you don't need to go away thinking, oh, I'm not at peace I've tried, I've prayed, I've really wanted reconciliation, but this person just will not come around. Well, what are you after? Are you after their blessing or after God's blessing? Are you after their approval or God's approval? If between you and God, you have as much as was in you, and that doesn't mean, okay, that's all I've got, I'm all in. Because you also have the power of God inside of you. You have... The, the God of peace inside of you. It doesn't mean that you're tired out of trying to reconcile the relationship. It means that you would have to take some sort of unbiblical step. You would have to step away from the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to try to go to the next measure. I've, I've seen people that have, for instance, in a marriage relationship, the spouse departs. 
One situation I know, we were just talking about around the family devotions this week, you know. A friend of mine, his wife even said, you've done absolutely nothing wrong, but I just, I no longer want to be married. It's not you. It's not that I don't want to be married to you. I just don't want to be married. I, I want to go out and live my life in the world. Broke his heart. He sought reconciliation desperately. But in the end, if he had to go so far as to stalking her that got a restraining order from the police against him, then that's more than lies within him. That's more than what's possible biblically. Now he's, he's overstepping it. That's why Paul said, you know, if you have an unbelieving spouse and they depart, you know, you, you let them depart. You're not in bondage in such situations, 1 Corinthians 7.15. If they decide to leave, then you're not to be like clinging to their ankle. You're not supposed to be sabotaging, you know, their new home and their car until they, they come back to you in that way. That's not what the Bible is teaching here. Because we're always supposed to walk by faith and live by faith. And so it's like, Lord, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to seek restoration. But ultimately, you have to reach their heart. That's something that I can't touch. Sometimes we have to turn a person over to God because our efforts may actually be driving them away. And I've actually counseled people that way. I'm like, listen, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. What's your next step? And they'll tell me, I'm like, that's not a biblical step. And if you do that, then you're stepping outside of God's uh, assistance in your life, blessing you because you're taking it in your own hands. You're doing it under the banner of trying to restore the relationship, but you're doing it through fleshly means. God won't bless that. Sometimes it's just waiting or realizing God doesn't always overrule a person's free will and bring them back into that relationship. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have peace in your life between you and God. A person cannot rob you of your peace unless you allow them to. So in conclusion, is there someone or someones that you need to make peace with, that you need to reconcile with? Perhaps as you've heard the Word of God, as I've been talking today and just asking the Spirit of God to, to move through our time today. Perhaps the Holy Spirit, and he, He's wonderful at this, though sometimes, if we're honest, gets under our skin a little bit initially. He'll bring specific situations, specific people to our mind, right while you're sitting here in the chairs of Anchor Baptist Church. And you're like, mm, not them, Lord. Right? Not them, Lord. Do you know? Don't cast it aside, because in so doing, who are you quenching, folks? Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Biblically. I'll trust it in your hands. Secondly, are you at peace with God? Oh, don't be concerned about your peace with other human beings if you haven't come to reconciliation with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. You, you need the blood of Christ to atone for your sins. It's already been offered, but you simply now need to receive Him. And He even gives you the power to become the Son of God if you believe on His name. Christ has finished it all. There's no more sacrifice that needs to be made. It's not by righteousness which you've done, but it's according to His mercies that He saves us. But have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Do you have personal peace with God the Father, with Jesus being your advocate, your go-between? If not, friend, today you need to call on Christ to save you. Thirdly, are there friends or family members that you should work to reconcile with. In face-to-face -face is great. We've been given a, another option that sometimes works, especially in these times that we live where a video chat is maybe the next best thing where we geographically can't make the trip. If you can, it's great to be face-to-face. -face. But, but so you can see each other's countenances, hear tone of voice, you know, 
the, the more contact and interaction in your approach is always the best. There are situations where someone's come and it's like, this is someone that's in jail. I'm not allowed to go see them. I can't call them. I'm like, well, your best option is a letter. And just pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to guide you in the composing of that letter. But whatever it is, take the best option, but take it and ask God to guide you in that. And let's remember that true happiness, we're talking about in the context of blessedness, right? Matthew 5, all these blesseds. True happiness comes as we pursue peace. God help us to do it. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the admonition of Christ that comes down to us, preserved without error in the word of God for us today. No, we weren't there with Jesus set on the hillside with his disciples, but we're set here today, and every bit of this truth is just as relevant for us as it was for them. And the word of God works just the same for us today as it did back then. Now, Lord, we ask for the free working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts today. We ask that there would be brokenness. We ask that there would be yieldedness so that there might be true, lasting peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give an opportunity for you to respond, and perhaps you already have, and if you have in your heart done business with God, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But the hearing of God's word always should have a response to it of some sort. So this is not a pressure. This is an opportunity. But it behooves me to give you that opportunity. Maybe you just need to have it just between you and God. In a moment, Becky's going to play on the piano just some quiet music. Great opportunity for you just to have a little come to the Lord time. Pray. Make a commitment. If there's someone that you need to go to, make the commitment now before you, between you and the Lord. Maybe you need to be saved. Well, don't put that one off. We've got people that love you right here. We'd love to open God's Word, show you, before you walk out of this building today, how you can trust the Lord as your Savior. Call upon Him and be saved. And you can have peace with the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. When she begins to play, I'm going to step at the front. Maybe you need to have someone pray with you, talk with you, counsel with you. We would love to be a help. We're here for you if that's your need. You can catch me afterwards in the lobby. But don't just let this be, oh, it was a great message. Kind of got me a little uncomfortable there for a while, but got through it. No. God's trying to do a work in you. It's for your good as well as his glory. Don't blow it. Don't miss it.